Hi everyone and welcome to the Friday, February 21st installment of the Silicon Insider. The only truly honest and uncensored look at life and business in the Valley. We're at our 1949 card table and ready to go. My name is Mike Malone and I've been covering this town longer than anybody. I'm here with my co-host Scott Budman, veteran tech reporter for NBC Bay Area. We're recording this at the studio at PRX Tech Inc. in San Jose. Sorry, folks. And thanks, Brenna Bolger. And our producer is Tad Malone. Now, let's get started. We're determined to have a good time. We are. We're ready. <laughs> okay. It's Friday. It's beautiful weather. That's true. Okay. And I've been waiting to say this, I think, my whole life. Yeah. It's been a big week for space travel. Whoa. Finally. We I get, love just saying that. Do we get our flying cars? Do we get our <laughs> Jetsons mobile? We're, we're moving ahead of the flying car. We're into okay. space travel now. Yes. With rocket ships. And again, <laughs> we sort of hinted at this as like a future thing. I don't know if this week brings this that much closer to the future, but this Psychologically, was... it brings yes. us closer. Yes. This was interesting. Uh, this, by the way, is my old one of my laws, which is... Oh, right. Stuff gets <laughs> predicted. We all get excited. We're jumping up and down. We expect it any day, and then we're let down. And then we're not looking. We've given up. That's when it suddenly starts happening. And we actually have proof that this week was bigger than usual. SpaceX started to talk tourists... Yes. And granted, they may not be talking about you and me unless you've stumbled upon, I don't know, millions of dollars that yeah. I didn't know about. It's going to be expensive, but they're even talking about taking tourists into orbit, suborbital uh, right. trips. And they threw out by the end of this year in, in one of these releases, which is, it just seems so soon. Yeah. But it makes it somewhat real. Same week, Virgin Galactic, this is Richard Branson's right. space travel company, which very recently went public. All of a sudden, for some reason, and those usual reasons for a stock getting hot are not here at all. Right. But the stock got super hot. So all of a sudden on CNBC, they're talking about a space travel company that's actually publicly Did traded. Did you see the video a few months ago of their new spaceport idea? Yes. I think it was down near Vegas or something. The Spectacular. Yes, the artist's renditions. And we've seen this also. I'll, I'll throw in uh, Jeff Bezos's Blue Origin, yep. which is also talking about space orbital business and all that. Uh, some of the artist renditions and then videos that we see are, are spectacular yes. and very futuristic. And obviously Elon Musk with SpaceX has dreams of eventually taking us to Mars and who knows. Yeah, eventually it's going to have to go somewhere. Well, yes. Because just suborbital <laughs> tourist attractions aren't going to be enough after a certain point. We're not even going to get jaded about that. But if it takes some other place on Earth, or even better, takes us to someplace off Earth. Like the moon. Yeah, now we got something profound. It changes civilization. I figured that we would talk about this in this lifetime, and yeah. maybe our children's lifetime, and then maybe get started a little bit later. But it almost sounds like this stuff is heating up. If investors are pouring money in, and the idea of SpaceX actually talking about, uh, let's take money from people, granted at this stage a lot of money, but to Go into space. Hey, let the billionaires fund the future development of this for the rest of us. Isn't that how it always works, though? Yes, and it's gearing up partly, and, and both Bezos and Musk have talked about uh, climate change concerns and even political yeah. concerns, and, oh, if this we're going to ruin the Earth and we got to go somewhere else, uh, and, and that's sort of where Mars comes in. Right. Well, I have another feeling about that, too, which is we're just discovering how much, how many space rocks... You know, asteroids, meteors, everything else are just missing Earth. 
Right. We didn't know how many. And now all of a sudden, you seem like you read about them once a month. Oh, it's not. It's it's still only five hundred miles away or ten thousand miles away. But it's like, man, that's pretty close by astronomical numbers. Maybe we do need to have a backup location. You're right, but let me play devil's advocate. And as much of a space geek as I am, and I'm the guy out there in the neighborhood looking through the telescope at night and just geeking out. But we talk about these problems on Earth as if yeah. going to Mars will solve make them. A difference. Mars yeah. is horrendous. It's tough. It's, right. It's not inhabitable. Yes, and you know whatever Matt Damon escape, tells you. And if you want to escape space debris. The moon may not be the best place. Take a look at exactly. it through your telescope. That's what it looks like when debris actually does yeah. hit you through the millennia. But right, and uh, talking about Mars as a safe haven of some sort is crazy. But at the same time, isn't it craziness that eventually gets us to whatever the next level of whatever it is, in this case space travel, uh, could someday be? I think it's wonderful. I mean, I moved to Silicon Valley in 1963 as a little kid. My dad went to work for NASA. I met all these guys. I met, I met the Gemini astronauts wow. and, and some of the Apollo. Later on, I, I actually dealt with Neil Armstrong right before he died. I mean, this was part of my existence, going out to Ames every day, you know, and I thought, I'm going to be walking on the moon in my old age. Well, here I am, <laughs> you know, and there, we're going to look back at this weird interregnum between, you know, the Challenger crash, right. and now, where we spent many, many years doing nothing. And I think people in the future are going to look back and say, why didn't they just keep going? They were already on the moon. I agree. We really slowed things down after that. And that's not just years, but decades, you're right, yeah. without development, even at a time when technology was soaring, you know, Moore's Law and all that right. stuff, that we could have developed some incredible things. And Absolutely. Now, and then we even lost the blueprints to the Saturn V at one point. We couldn't even rebuild that. Yeah, I mean, it became oh, probably... My, an anecdote. Oh. My dad actually had some of the moon rocks in his safe at the office. Did he? Because he was doing security out at Ames. What yeah. happened to those moon rocks? I have no idea. I said, what do they look like, Dad? Yeah. He said, the bottom of a barbecue pit. <laughs> You know, the ashes uh, yes, left yes. over from briquettes. Like he that. said, that's what they look like. That's a cool story. It's too bad you don't have your hands on that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, All right. So from the from the sublime to the terrifying. Right. More sobering. Uh, yeah, coronavirus. We talked about how coronavirus would inevitably hit technology. I'm almost surprised it's not hit it harder. Yeah. Just given the flat earth nature of, of where we are. But this week alone... Apple was the first major tech firm yes. to warn, in, in serious terms, to say our iPhone right. production will be down. It cost them $35 billion on the market. In one day. In one day. That day that they... And, and granted, for Apple, that's kind of... Yes, yeah, chunk beat. change. It's coffee money. But right. still, $35 billion is it, not nothing. It shows that uh, there is enough concern with what may come next. Because isn't that why people trade stock? Because right. of what might come next. Because that curve is not flattening. We thought... Briefly, it did, but it looks yeah. like that was just reporting error. Now there's, what, 2,000 dead? Yes, and in America, we're starting to see, and we'll get to that in a second, we're starting to see caution. And I think that's good. Yeah. But caution from tech companies, while prudent and good and long-term smart, uh, leads to big losses. I mean, that's right. just how it works. Everyone expects this constant cycle of, of excitement and growth. And when you pull yeah. back because, hey, we don't want our employees getting sick or we don't want to produce iPhones with workers 
even though we don't pay them much, we don't want them to get sick. Right. Uh, that hits the bottom line. It's interesting. It hit Apple. Yeah. But the latest reports are the supply manufacturing supply chain in in Europe, which they thought would be very disrupted, is still going full blast. It it, it seems to be hitting in different ways, not expected. It's also, you know, the fear was. If you've, if you've read about the Spanish influenza epidemic in the early 20s, right after World War I, it killed young adults. It, very few old people died during the Spanish flu, and very few young people died. It was middle-aged people. And so you ended up with a generation of grandparents raising you know, their orphan grandchildren. Mm. This one seems to be hitting old people. It's like, it looks more like a regular flu. The people that died on the um, cruise ship, they, they, with the mother and daughter, they yeah. apparently were older and they weren't very healthy. And I wonder that's a demo that's on cruise ships or flying around. Yeah. And the, the ones being super careful seem to be the younger people who are saying, okay, I'm not going to attend this tech conference or we're going to close down. Which we just had, right? Yeah, so we've got two, actually right here in the Bay Area, tech conferences coming up. RSA, which is a huge security conference. Right. If you're listening to this, uh, it's probably going on right now because it starts on, uh, I want to say, the 21st mm -hmm. of February. Um, and we've had IBM and AT&T. That's one major player and one not-so-major player in the security world uh, pulling out. Game Developers Conference, that's a huge that's one. That's a big one. Uh, the week after that, so we have Facebook, which, remember, is, is Oculus, yes. a big, big game player. And Sony also pulling out, saying, again, for an abundance of caution, we're keeping our people from traveling uh, to the Bay Area, where so far we're really... Uh, skirting this issue. There's thing. some interesting anecdotal information too, like a very popular restaurant in Oakland, uh, a Chinese restaurant, all of a sudden their business has begun to dry up. People don't want to go to any place where there might be folks arriving from China. Yeah, we're seeing, and, and San Francisco has an even larger Chinatown, and there some of the restaurants, and again, it's anecdotal. It's not, yeah. you know, it's, it's not quite panic spreading, but it's it's also rumors that are starting to spread. But yeah, we're seeing some restaurants saying business As long as that curve keeps low. climbing, it was gonna get worse. Right, and, and it seems like that's gonna happen before it gets better, at least for a little while. Yeah, it's devastating the Chinese economy. I noticed that uh, a lot of money is moving out of the, of the Yuan because people are scared and they're moving back to dollars. Right, I mean, when dollar, and this was I remember when dollar was going to disappear as the world's leading currency and yeah. China was going to take over. Well, that, I think all those gains have been, have been lost by China. Another strange happening this week was that you saw the dollar, the stock market, and gold go up at the same time. And that rarely happens yeah, because you've got the risky, sort of sexy stock market. Right, and then, and then you then go the into gold energy. when you're scared, yeah. So we see an odd division of we're scared, but we're still willing to take risks in the stock market. Um, that's kind of a surprise. We'll see how that goes. Okay, uh, well, we talked last week. Some of the indicators seem look like they're flattening out around here, so we'll see. I think we're going to find out. It's gonna, it may be a spring thing this year instead of the usual fall. Maybe so. <laughs> you know, all of our all of our crashes have been in the fall over the years. This one may be a little different. Okay, I think this one has interesting long-term implications. Uh, Google's facing a new lawsuit filed by the state of New Mexico. There's Attorney General Hector Balderas alleging the company violates the privacy of students who use free Chromebooks provided to schools through the company's G Suite. So as someone whose kids were right in that demo yes. uh, for middle school, um, I find this lawsuit interesting. And I remember, this is just 
going back a couple of years for us, uh, using the Chromebooks in the house. Yeah. And the big issue was, you know, is is my daughter responsible enough to bring a Chromebook back right. and forth and all that? And, you know, they would switch and they would use each other's and, and all that. So it's not terribly reliable privacy data. Yeah. But there is some. And, and now with schools uh, using everything online, um, yeah. I, I, this you're right. This is maybe a, a warning shot. I'm just wondering if we're going to see other attorney generals. We've seen this in the past. State attorney generals jumping on board this train. Yeah. So it becomes a you know cross country class action suit by the AGs. Right. You can't track student data without parental consent. Yes. So does that mean we're going to start seeing more consent forms? Like, hey, your kid's got a computer. Every kid's got to have a computer. Here's a consent form. Or will we see more lawsuits because they're not? taking this precaution. Look, the bottom line is these businesses are in the business of gathering information. True. They can cover it up and they can camouflage it and, and, you know, tart it up in a lot of different ways, but that's what they do. And so you've got to figure out a way to control that, their access to that information. And anytime, I mean, if, haven't we learned by now, if it's freeware... You're the product. You're the product. Yes. We got to get away from that now. Maybe there's an is there should be an opt out opportunity, but there should also perhaps boy. Every time I say this, I feel like I'm a, stating a heresy. But maybe we monetize data. Maybe maybe they have to if they take our private data, they have to pay us something for it. But let's assume that Google will say, okay, well then we're taking Chromebooks out of schools. Yeah, see, there's and, there's the blackmail. Oh, okay, well, you, if, if you can't give us that free data, we're not going to give you free computers. Right, and whereas um, the previous generation, uh, my generation, had Apple computers in schools, if, if yep. you went to a school that had enough money, um, this generation is now Chromebooks. Right. And uh, But there's always been that sort of, we're going to, I don't know, recognize that your career is probably going to have a computer in it. Yes. And therefore, starting in middle school, junior high school, we're going to give you computers... Uh, yeah. To make sure that it balances out. After all, if they use computers but they don't give it to all the students, right. you've got to I mean, No, I understand the equity argument, but yeah. you know, it used to be before the importance of the internet to computation, when it was largely discrete operations in your computer and you sort of and you went up to the internet every once in a while. Back then Apple gave away those computers not to gain your information, but to get you used to using the Apple exactly. operating. You used Apple OS, exactly, and so you knew you wanted to buy one when you grew up. This is very different. This is monetizing you now. Yeah, and uh, right, um, and that's a horrible, horrible thing, uh, especially when they do it to children. And and maybe there is a way to say, put your name on it and nothing else. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. You're right, it, and I will be watching this closely. I think for a lot of reasons. I mean, I, I'm getting it. We're getting a Bill and I, Bill David and I get a fair amount of pushback with this new book mm -hmm. talking about freeware is a pernicious thing, and we've got to figure out how to monetize data. And your data's got to go into some sort of lockbox that some broker has to sell your info. Some intermediary has to act as the broker for your information to corporations who want to gather that data. So you know where it's going and you're getting paid for it. Like you might have an agent or something. Yeah. And now, you know, theoretically, it's, you know, it might slow down the internet. That's what everyone's afraid of. But on the other hand, you know, the loss of privacy is, you know, it's profound Correct. nowadays. Correct. Okay. Earnings. Yeah, we're keep, we've kept on with the earnings and we've gotten little bit of warnings about coronavirus, but so far, yeah. other than Apple, no one's come out and admitted, hey, this is going to hurt our bottom line. 
We've got companies. I, I, of course, we talked them. about companies with bad quarters may just announce it's coronavirus. Right. Yeah. That's and almost it, what we're leading up to nice in three cover. months. Yeah. yeah, it'll be the coronavirus quarter. Uh, I just picked a few from a sort of a, a wide variety. Yeah. Uh, Dropbox came out with strong numbers. Zillow, which is, you know, online housing. eHealth, right. which is into healthcare. NVIDIA had a huge week. They're back to all-time highs. They've doubled their stock after. And, and credit to these guys and, and Jensen Wong, uh, the CEO. NVIDIA saw their stock really crumble after, okay, they're not in Bitcoin mining anymore. And, you right. know, some of the... All, and then they came back and said, look, people still want our processors. They're using it for AI. They're using it for virtual reality. They're right. using it for they cars. Got back to, and, they got back to their core business. Right. And they're really doing well. And um, stamps.com, whatever the heck they do, you know, they're still somehow trading above like 300 bucks. Which is amazing. I mean, what was the last time you thought of stamps.com? It was the episode of Entourage. <laughs> this goes back a ways <laughs> yeah, where years. the guy comes in and, and tells, uh, <laughs> you know, Ari Gold, hey, I made my millions off stamps.com. <laughs> And I thought, whoa, that's a reach. <laughs> but hey, people are still making millions off stamp.com. Good for him. Okay, uh, here's a historic uh, yeah. event. Adobe Photoshop celebrates its 30th anniversary this week. Yes, this was a week of, of looking back. And I noticed you you made mention of Larry Tesler. And this yes. Is, he's, you know, he's all the obits said that he invented cut, copy, and paste, yeah. which is monumental. But he was also in that room, I believe 1979, if I'm right, yeah. when Steve Jobs saw the interface at Xerox Park. Oh, was he part of the Lisa McIntosh team I, I that believe, took him in? Well, okay. so he was, I think at Xerox Park at the time. Oh, he was on the other side. Yeah, ended up as later Apple's, you know, engineer, chief engineer or something. But I believe he was on that team. Talk about a team that changed history. Yes. You know, so he, uh, he is at a couple of, this is like a, a you know that, of a couple of places. You know that day was a setup, don't you? Did I ever tell you this? Yes, I think you did. Yeah, that <laughs> those guys, the the Apple teams were already working with Xerox Park because they they had been up there many many times. They knew what Xerox had. Yeah. And they set Jobs up to take that tour. Didn't tell him advance what they knew, and they had everything laid out so Steve would br bump into it and discover it. Because if they brought it to him, that he said they they told me later. He would have shot it down, but if he thought he saw it for the first time by himself and he could <laughs> he could discover it, yep. and that's exactly what it did. It changed history, and Xerox deserved to lose that technology. I was going to say Xerox, no matter how it ended up, didn't they were doing the, nothing yeah. with it. Yeah. yeah. So well, here's to uh, here's to Larry Tesler. I mean, yes, certain guys come along that sometimes you don't even know their name, and they change the world. Look at how much they've changed our life. You know, with cut and paste. Yes. Especially we writers. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. My whole life is spent you know, <laughs> capturing stuff. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, I keep bringing up Samsung because I just think they're so interesting right now. Because they swing between brilliant stuff and catastrophe. You know, they have great ideas and, and lousy execution. Yeah, you think of all the tech companies <laughs> taking little steps yeah. and making sure something works. Yeah. Samsung just takes its shot, bam, every time. Right, and they swing for the fences, yeah. and then sometimes they get it out of the park, and then they, they forget to step on second base, you know, and they get thrown out. I'm still looking for the $1,500 flip phone in the wild. Yeah. I've seen it from, you know, my fellow tech reviewers uh, who give it mixed reviews, yeah. but I'm that and the Razer phone, uh, and I right. know they're coming out. I haven't seen one yet. No, and that's an expensive phone, Usually too. I see it at... The peeps in Los Altos, because all the rich people come down from the hills, and they that have... would be it. But here, while many of us are saying, "All right, do we spend eleven, twelve hundred dollars on yeah. that top of the line Apple phone?" You could spend even more on a risky 
haven't seen before, multi-screen flip phone, which, you know. Yes, well, what struck me about this $1,400 Samsung G20 Ultra is the camera. Yes. 108 megapixel main camera, 12 megapixel wide angle lens, 48 megapixel telephoto. This is the one that blew me away though. A 100X mega zoom. Yeah, I'd love to get my hands on that. And, and the Samsung phones I have reviewed recently have all had really good cameras. They're upping that game in a way that maybe only Nokia did. Yeah. Uh, but people weren't buying Nokia phones, so it was sort of between Apple, Samsung, and you know whatever Google was putting out. Samsung has great screens, great cameras. Uh, I think people are missing that part of it because they do it better than anyone. Yeah. But with these prices, really, it's... I mean, it just seems given how often we trade in our phones, that $1,500 is a lot of money. Yeah, on the other hand, though, I used to work with a professional photographer when I was working at uh, Hewlett Packard. And he would show up with his Hasselblad. And I said, how much was this? And he said, $12,000. And I actually think this Samsung has is, is actually greater image density. Of course, the modern Hasselblad has, you know, probably a billion pixels but it costs a hundred thousand dollars yeah now. you bring up a good point in yeah, what i mean you you're getting get professional grade photography for 1400 bucks oh yeah we'll throw in a phone too <laughs> some apps and yeah you know, you're I, right and and maybe that's how we should look at these especially with these incredible cameras because yeah. the images that we're seeing uh and, and you know as, as a news guy that we use our phones all the time sometimes these images are, are i mean I, I dare to say it they're just as good as anything you see on tv or almost the movies it's incredible how many times you've gone in to, to film something for television at some other place and they don't have a traditional video camera they have a 35 millimeter camera right with a with a good card in it it's like very frequently and now uh, you know, you go to an Apple event, half the press doesn't even have a camera other than yeah. a cell phone. It's just incredible. Yeah. Once again, it's sneaking up on us. Yep. All right. Uh, oh, by the way, next Tuesday night, David, Al, and I are on stage at the Computer History Museum. Excellent. Please come. I think it's already sold out. Oh, good. good, good. But, you know, if you don't want to come for me and Bill, come for uh, our interviewer is David Kennedy. Uh, Stanford professor and Pulitzer Prize winning historian. That is a good night. Okay. All right. Your winner. My winner of the week is E-Trade. Yep. Back in the news after a huge buyout. Uh, and E-Trade really changed the game a long time ago. We're talking yes. about dot-com boom stuff and how we trade online. And then they struggled because everybody not only caught up, but even the big guys were getting involved. But this is, you know, and I say this as someone who is not a trader uh, or a buyer and seller of stocks, but everybody does this now. Sort of like online dating. Sure. This is the, the fallback, the default of how... We meet people, it's how we trade stocks. And E-Trade really got what was coming to it in a good way yeah. uh, in the buyout. Morgan Stanley uh, coughing up billions of dollars, admitting this is what we need to do, this is where we need to be. TD Ameritrade made a similar move recently. Right. We've started to see the big, I guess you could call them brick and mortar, old school bankers, say we need online trading by the original, the OG online traders, and now they're getting bought up for lots of money. You know, one of the things, right after the dot-com bubble burst, I kind of did a post-mortem thinking, what did we learn from all this? Because you remember the Valley created, what, 5,000 new companies? Mm -hmm. and, and it looked like and it, and the, the public lesson of the dot-com dot bubble bust was, oh, everybody invested in all these companies and they were all fly-by-night and they, all, they were never going to be profitable and they all blew up and they all disappeared. But they didn't. 
a handful made it through, and they ended up being ultimately larger than the entire bubble. And I think the lesson of these bubbles is we have a new technology, a new business opportunity. Everybody dives in. Everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. We're all giving it a shot. It's going to have a 95% mortality rate. But oftentimes, the first or second ones in in a given market can get established enough, go public, and gather enough market share. They become the dominant companies of the next generation. And Google was one. eBay was one. Mm -hmm. uh, E-Trade was one. I mean, they're still here. Oh, yeah. And they're gigantic. And, and they don't teach that, I don't think, even in business school. The real lesson of these bubbles, they're not... They're not they're bubbles, but they're not completely fake. There's something real at the bottom of them. I and, agree. And the survivors change the world. That's sort of like the, what they say in law school or something, where they try to weed out the wheat from the chaff or whatever. Yes. And the ones who are standing are still there. And that's what we've seen with a lot of these tech companies. Good for E-Trade. And today, or yesterday, actually, uh, they got theirs. And, yes, and, finally. Yeah. <laughs> so they're my winner. You're loser. loser. Uh, this was easy. Groupon taken out to the woodshed and and they've had a rough go for a long time yeah but this is where their stock fell literally in half and was there uh, a precipitating event that caused it yeah their earnings they're they're not oh, making okay. money and this was where a lot of the analysts said this is just not a viable business let's okay. admit it and i was always a little skeptical of groupon like if you wanted to use a coupon right. go get a coupon there are discounts yeah. everywhere you don't need a company to do this and uh but we were trained the last 20 years have trained us to when we see an idea and we go, that's nuts, that's never gonna work, <laughs> to go, wait a minute, but we, we have this example and this counterexample and this example of things that look so absurd, and now they're gigantic companies. And, and I Groupon, think Groupon was one of those, it was like, oh, okay, I guess that works. Well, goodness, we saw Groupon, coupons.com, this actually spawned a lot of the idea of clipping coupons, but somehow yeah. on the internet or on your phone, right. and uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's just not what the world was wanting, it no. turns out. Who knew? No. No. All right, your winner. Uh, the good old American greenback, the simoleon. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, it's come at a terrible cost, but the dollar is climbing again against the world currencies. I mean, it's still proof that's been this way for most of a century now. True. When things go bad, you go to the American buck. You know, George Washington's always there waiting for you to come home. You may go out, you may go out and fool around and party and get in trouble, but when things get tough, you go home to Mount Vernon. Perfect analogy. Okay, the loser, loser. You know, it's kind of a loser, but you know, Apple losing thirty-five billion. Thirty-five billion, maybe. You're starting to talk real money. <laughs> yeah, no, it's real money. I mean, it's not chump change. And no matter how big you are, thirty-five billion dollars is a lot of money. Do you get the feeling that of all companies, it's interesting that Apple came out first and said, hey, we're going to take a hit because of coronavirus, yeah. but they're just so built to survive this, don't yeah. you think? Oh, absolutely. I think this is just a perceptual matter. They're the first ones out. They, they just said, okay, let's just do this. Well, and even if there is an iPhone slowdown, yeah. uh, the world has lined up to where it's in February and maybe March. It's not in December, you know, in yeah. October. It's not when they have new phones and Christmas it's even happening at a time that's good for Apple. You know, it, it kind of reminded me of Ronald Reagan right after he got elected. And he said, we've been sliding into a recession for years now, inflation-driven recession. Let's just pull the string at the beginning of my administration. They were back, the country was back in a boom by the end of it, and that's how he got himself reelected. I think Apple is just saying, let's do it now before the panic hits. Right. Take our shot. 
And then everybody else, when the, if, if this thing gets really bad and becomes a pan, if it doesn't get bad, no one's going to care. The stock's going to back up. If it does get really bad, we've already gotten our punishment. Everybody right. else is going to take it a lot worse. You're right. Okay. All right. We're out of time. What's the big story for next week? I think we'll be following coronavirus and yeah. these conferences. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the case. Yeah. We'll be following the Nevada caucus to see if they dare oh, yes. throw some technology into the mix. They, they <laughs> made an announcement today that they may not have the results the same day. Goodness. That probably means they're using an app or something. Yeah, this, this is like a catastrophic failure of technology. You know, and, and, and all of a sudden states like Vermont are saying, oh, we're going to use, we're still using paper ballots. Right. It's like the troglodyte argument <laughs> wins right now because the, the, these people didn't implement technology properly. Right. Okay. Uh, all right. All right. So we're out of time. Uh, that's it for now, folks. You can follow Scott on Twitter and Facebook. And, of course, watch him every weeknight at 5, 6, and 11 on NBC Bay Area. As for our producer, you can find Tad's work these days on Instagram. Have a great weekend, everybody.